0: Oh, stomping, Jen. Here we are again. Again. Once again. Again. I am very excited. I am too. We are going to be talking to a nationally recognized genealogist and genealogist lecturer named Rich Venezia.
1: He's my birthday twin.
0: I I know all about that. And we're going to ask about that. Okay. And some of that ties into this story. We're going to be talking about I'm excited. genealogy and um, Rich's career. He has a company called, and I love this name, Rich Roots Genealogy. Yeah. Right? Um, so, very, very awesome. But we're going to be talking to him about all of the awesome stuff that he is doing. Well, let's get okay? to it. Are we ready? Yes. All right. <laughs> The Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Um, All right. Stomping Jen. Yes, we are (laughs) supposed to talk now. I am busy with my levers and my sliders (laughs) over here. All the buttons. Yep.
1: All the buttons.
0: Well, let's say hello to Rich Venezia. Hello, Rich.
2: Howdy. How's it going?
0: Very good. Thank you for joining us. Um, Now, I did kind of a very broad painting um, in describing what you do um, as a nationally recognized genealogist and genealogist lecturer, but I'm sure that's insufficient, so I want to give you an opportunity um, to tell us, um, what you are um, and what you're doing in the world. Who you are and what you're doing... In the- Sorry. I'm going to... I'm going to confess to our to our listeners, I, I was beset and bedeviled by lots of technical problems right. before we sat down with Rich to who has been very gracious and understanding yes. as we get going here this evening. Uh, so thank you, Rich. Um, but yeah, so Rich, who are you? What do you do in the world? We definitely want to, we always give our guests an opportunity to kind of make their own pitch about what they're doing out there.
2: Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here and to, to chat and to catch up with you guys. I, As you mentioned, I am a genealogist and I am a genealogical lecturer as well. So I do a lot of research for private clients about their family histories. I speak at conferences and seminars across the country about genealogical research topics. I'm specifically interested in and, and specialize in topics related to immigration and especially recent immigration, 20th century immigrants, and all the different types of records they created and record sets in which you might find them to, you know, research your family and, and find some interesting and surprising details. I also help clients with dual citizenship through their ancestors. So for both Ireland and Italy, I gather the paperwork together and act as kind of a project manager to help assist them in that journey to obtain the proper paperwork necessary to become an ancestor uh, to become a dual citizen through their ancestral lineage and I myself and then time citizen have been since 2015 um, and I yeah I love it I love the research that I do I love the clients that I work with I have had some really great interesting opportunities over the years to work on television shows um, I've led some records, advocacy, access campaigns, and have had a great time in uh, in, in the, the time since I started working as a freelance professional six years ago. Wow.
0: That is so exciting. Um, and really quickly, I think there might be some people who are listening to this who may not even know what genealogy is. Could sure. you Could you tell us a little bit about what that field of study is, what that discipline is? Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I get that a lot, actually, and it's really fun to, to see what people confuse it with. I get geology a lot, which is rocks. I've gone to <laughs> gynecology a couple times, which is not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so basically, genealogy is the study of one's family history. Um, and it's kind of a, a very broad topic, I suppose. Um, but really what it boils down to is people kind of wanting to learn more about where they came from, you know, their parents, their parents, parents, their grandparents, parents, their great, great grandparents, especially here in the United States. A lot of people are very interested in their immigrant roots. Um, you know, a lot of people identify as a hyphenated American, German American, Italian American, Japanese American. And so, you know, the study of one's genealogy is really looking into that and kind of figuring out how you got to be where you are today through the lens of the journeys of the people that came before you.
0: Thank you for that explanation. Um, How did you become passionate about genealogy? Is this something you were interested in from a very young age? And I'm really curious about where that spark kind of occurred in your life.
2: Yeah, so my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, was really interested in family history I came to genealogy I think in a bit of a different way than a lot of my my peers and colleagues because I grew up going to my grandma's house and looking at photos on the wall and knowing you know who her grandparents were and where they came from you know specifically where in Italy my grandfather's family was from for instance and you know I think a lot of other people kind of get into genealogy because they had all these questions, you know, or they had one relative that had a few things because they wanted to really learn more for themselves. And, you know, in my case, uh, my grandma had been researching the family history of our family. It had been really interesting to me. I had been really close to her. And so when she passed away, I took it upon myself to continue the research that she was doing for our family um, and that, you know, led to a real deep interest in genealogy and in family history, which then led to the career path that I'm on today. Cool.
0: Um, how did your grandmother do a lot of research? Was there like did had the trail gone cold, and was there something for you to to pick up and continue? I'm really yeah, uh, I'm curious about that. Like, was there?
2: Yeah, I mean the so my my grandma. Did a lot of collecting of information from various relatives. You know, she got in touch with cousins she hadn't seen since she was a kid. Um, you know, and collected a lot of information from various people. Um, she wrote down stories about you know her and her sisters' childhood experiences with their grandparents. Um, at least one or two of whom who had been the immigrants from the old country. Um, but I think the thing with genealogy is that there's really always more to find. And so, you know, whereas she'd had been collecting a lot of information from other family members or other relatives at that time, you know, in the early, uh, excuse me, in the, the very early two thousand. that was really when there was a lot more stuff that was being digitized and made available online on websites like ancestry or family search. And I, I, utilize a lot of the information that my grandmother had started to find and to collect and then kind of verified that utilizing documents that were then, you know, made available online, which she may herself not have been able um, to access or they might not have been there yet, you know, by the time that she passed away.
0: I know, I know I have um, thought of genealogy kind of being like a series of records and like direct um familial relationships, like birth certificates. I'm interested, are, are stories, like yeah. the kind your grandmother collected, like written and oral stories, are those considered part of like a genealogical record when you're trying to put together um, somebody's history?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really depends. Each piece of evidence is different, right? You know, what you get on... Uh, you know, a, uh, a birth record that some town clerk created is different than what you get in the family Bible that was kept by the family patriarch is different than what you get in these types of things. where my grandmother actually, you know, wrote down stories that she remembered from her childhood. Um, it can get sometimes difficult because personal recollections don't always necessarily equate to true factual uh, statements, right? Or, or, um, you know, what they remember may not necessarily be correct, especially in terms of, you know, where exactly people came from in Europe, for instance, or or other family details like that. But those stories are definitely more precious and absolutely have a place in family histories because, you know, we we research the records because we're interested in the stories, right? And so a lot of times we allow the records to tell us a story. But how much better is that if we then also can sometimes find personal stories, whether that's in oral history, that's in an archive, or just, you know, like in my case, these stories that my grandmother wrote down in a book that I was able to, you know, then utilize to learn more about what her life is like, right, as a child, like, Mm -hmm. because I can find all the records that I want that say, she was born in this place, she lived at this address in Jersey City, but the stories are what Make it really interesting. or make those documents come to life. Right.
0: Yeah, and those stories, I would imagine, can be helpful um, in guiding you um, as a as a genealogical professional towards where to look, maybe for records or other documents Absolutely. to help
1: um, to round out the picture. To right? Help round
0: out the picture. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of of stories, <laughs> I, I I understand there is a a um, rich Venezia and stomping Jen story that kind of relates to your journey in becoming a a professional genealogist. So I I would love to hear it. Um, Cause I've only heard bits. I've heard bits and pieces over the year.
2: Should we do like the rich version and then the Jen version? Yes. Yes. Uh, I want
1: to hear the rich version. Yes, please.
2: Oh man.
1: So yeah, no, it actually, it has a,
2: it has a huge impact on, um, on my story. So it's a really cool kind of closing the circle piece for me to be here on this podcast, talking with you about my journey and my gosh, seventh year now of, of self-employment. Um, I lived back in the day in <laughs> Northampton, and I worked in um, higher ed there uh, for a little while. And you know, I'd always been interested in genealogy. I never really thought about doing it as a career. I did some informational interviews with some genealogists before I moved from New Jersey to Massachusetts and learned more about their experience, but, you know, never really thought about the ability to do it full time. Everybody kind of said to me, it's really hard to make a living. You know, a lot of people work part time. A lot of people do this once they're retired or sort of as a second or third career, like once. They kind of have some money in the bank, it can afford, right. <laughs> you know, try the freelance life. And you know, I I enjoyed the the work that I was doing, but I kind of just wasn't feeling as fulfilled as I as I would have liked. Um, I was working long hours, you know, the very kind of typical, I think, millennial story, mm-hmm. right? You know, overworked, underpaid, um, and you know, I want to find a job that's meaningful, mm-hmm. and so. <laughs> Um, I met Jen at Tunnel Bar. Is that what we met? Some
1: rando bar in I'm Northampton. A bar
2: in Northampton, <laughs> and I was on I was on a really bad date. I was on a bad no, that's a lie. I wasn't, <laughs> it was like no, a first date. Started yeah, I hadn't yet started the date. I think I I got there early, which is like not a thing I ever do. But I was there <laughs> early and um, started chatting to Jen and your friend Jody. Right? Yes. Yes. at the bar and we, we got along really well. And they kind of said, Hey, well, like if the date goes south, let us know. And I think Jen gave me her number, um, because <laughs> they were, you know, going dancing or something and, uh, you know, flash forward, the date did not go well.
3: <laughs> oh, <man. laughs>
2: um, and anyway, so, you know, that was how Jen and I met. We, we then went dancing and, uh, you know, we kept in touch during my time in Northampton You know, I think she could see that I was growing increasingly frustrated at at the job that I was doing, and also that I was very passionate about uh, the work that, you know, I was doing a bit of side work in genealogy, and I joined some organizations and and tried to take some classes and things to learn more about what being a professional would look like. And uh, generally encouraged me, based upon her experience, to, you know, to go for it and to, to, you know, see what it would look like and to, you know, just, uh, kind of jump off the cliff, really.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that I remember saying, I think it was like, you were wasting all this energy looking for a job you didn't really, weren't really passionate about. And I'm like, if you could just divert that energy into looking for other jobs into what you are do, like what you really want to be doing as a passion, like you could build your own career out of it. Yeah. And,
3: yeah, I, love I, that. I guess it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Because <laughs> here he is. That's how many, amazing. How many years later? I'm doing I'm in, it full time, right?
0: I, I'm yeah. impressed with yeah. both of you on several <laughs> levels. Like, <laughs> st- stomping Jen for being like, here's my number to somebody that she just met, and, you know, um, and then Rich for you I think she could calling call it her. Much. <laughs> no, just um, both of you possess whatever that social skill set is it's something I don't have and I'm jealous of. So um, well, I think
1: a lot of it was kismet. Like we learned, like he was from New Jersey I'm yeah. from New Jersey. <laughs> like we shared a birthday, like there was like some weird synergy happening yeah. that night. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Rich, how do you, how do you then take um, that idea, that passion and then, you know, translate it into reality? You know, we're seven, you know, seven years on and or. I think you said seven years on into yeah, your yeah. professional life as a genealogist now, like, what are those, what are those initial steps look like? How do you, how do you make that plunge?
2: Gosh, a lot of being terrified. I think is yeah. <laughs> a big one. Yeah. You know, I, I was really lucky. I was really young at the time still, you know, I was in my mid twenties. And so I had the, the option and the opportunity to move back in with my parents. And so that was a huge safety net for me to, to first of all be able to kind of not worry about the need to make a huge amount of money to pay a lot of bills for the first, you know, uh, about a year that I, that I was doing, that I was uh, working in my business. Um, but also a lot of networking, you know, a lot of meeting different people and understanding different experiences and, you know, seeing um, what other people were doing that was working, what other people were doing that wasn't working, and trying to find a niche in that, um, you know, to see what was missing and and where, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of gaps in the field could I fill, especially with things that I knew already or things that I was interested in. You know, a lot of genealogists have subspecialties, and so the first while that I was in the field was really figuring out what I was interested in, what I was good at and and what was kind of missing that would allow for me to grow a sustainable business without kind of providing to people what there were already hundreds to thousands of other people, you know, providing.
0: Yeah. Do you have a, um, subspecialty or an area that you focus on?
2: Yeah, I do a lot of, Research in Italian records. I'm fluent in Italian and so I do research in Italian records. Um, and I do, I travel to Italy to do research as well. Um, I also do Irish research. Um, I spent a good bit of time in Ireland. I lived there a bit in my twenties. Um, and I studied there. And so, um, you know, because of both of those things, I've, I've been able to carve out, you know, a, a kind of specialty in both Italian research and Irish research, but a kind of overarching specialty is Immigration, specifically 20th century immigration, in my field, when I entered it, and I think it's safe to say was, um, you know, had a, had a big focus. Any focus on immigration was very colonial American immigration or early American immigration. And there's a lot of great researchers that have done, have written books and, and treatises and spent lots of time doing research into early American Immigrants and ancestors, um, but there's very few. There was very little educational resources available in relation to more recent immigrants, mm-hmm. and that was research I was doing. My family all came well, you know, well after the Civil War. Most of my my immigrant ancestors didn't, uh, you know, they came up till the early 1920s, right. and you know, I think a part of that is because so much of genealogy is researching. Uh, the past right kind of the distant past and so when the field really started becoming a field in the 20s 30s 40s and really you know throughout the second half of the 20th century people were researching Mayflower ancestors they were researching Revolutionary War ancestors they started to research enslaved ancestors um, but people that came over in 1910 1920 were either still alive or their yeah. kids were still alive and so thinking about it as a genealogical pursuit almost seemed kind of strange because it wasn't necessarily the distant past, you know? Um, So I, I set about to learn a lot more about that and, you know, work with uh, some of the few people in the field that were doing that type of research um, to make sure that I was understanding as much as I could and figuring out what types of records that weren't being used Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, we're really under, we're really underutilized or under, uh, really unknown, um, to be able to then talk to people about those types of records and utilize those records
1: in my research. It's so interesting. Cause like, as you're talking, like, I think about like, uh, Sawtooth's like whole ancestry is like Mayflower, <laughs> like off the boat really like old school America and all of my ancestry is like, you're talking about like, you know, early, early 1900s.
0: But what's um, interesting about that, right. Is yeah. something Rich is pointing out. Like, I, I think we have a, often have a blind spot towards our more recent right. immigrants in our families. Like I have a, I have a grandmother who immigrated from Sweden um, that, people cool. often like overlook that. Yeah. You know she was she was an immigrant. I
1: didn't overlook
0: that. Yeah, no, I know you didn't, <laughs> but I'm just but you what, what I'm saying is what I'm saying is you kind of immediately go back to all the way to the Mayflower the, yeah, stuff, and, yeah. Like in and, and for me like I like I try to remind myself that all of us no matter where we happen to be sitting right, right or for how long we've been sitting there, yeah. um are immigrants and are, yeah. are descended from immigrants, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And I feel yeah. like I feel like we forget this. Um, Rich, having done this work for so long, do you have any insight into why this is something that we tend to forget? <laughs> I don't know if you have any thoughts about that.
3: Well,
2: I mean, I'd also first say just to, you know, I, for a while, I was very, um, you know, intent on this idea that we are all immigrants, right? And that really was even like a hashtag about that. And, and I, you know, especially, you know, in in the events of, of kind of the last four years, you know, immigration has been really front and center. But I also think it's important to remember that, you know, while most of us are descendants of immigrants, there are certainly some people that are full-blooded descendants of Native Americans and, that yeah. you know, don't have any immigrant ancestors. And also, obviously, uh, most you know, Black Americans have some ancestors that uh, involuntarily immigrated, right, against their will, they were enslaved. And so I think, you know, I think that's also, that's all part of the picture, right? Like, you know, in in my field, I'd say it's pretty taboo to talk about, but, you know, the pursuit of genealogy, I think, uh, really grew with interest in joining Societies, right? Daughters of the American Revolution, sons of the American Revolution. You know, there's Mayflower lineage societies. Um, there's early colonial settlers and immigrant societies. You know, probably Massachusetts has some type of you know early Massachusetts settler you know type society, and um, you know those societies and the descendants that you know join those societies are. Uh, Could be considered a somewhat homogenous group, I suppose, right? Right. And especially if we're talking, you know, the the people that were joining the DAR in the late 1800s, you know, there's there's discussion and also some fact, uh, you know, some factual stories about the idea of these societies in the first place was to promote and support homogeneity, right? (laughs) America was becoming too not white. And so, you know, certainly in my field, but I'd say more generally, you know, when we think of, but well, in my field, but because that's sort of the, the, the um, uh, that's the story that we tell. When we think about genealogy, we think about those types of things, right? We think about Mayflower ancestors. We think about uh, colonial immigrant ancestors. We don't think about the people that came here Hundred years ago, and I think that's in part because you know there's not lineage societies where you get pins and medals and buttons. You know, for, yeah. because your grandpa was an Italian immigrant. You know, that's <laughs> that's you know for for um, you know folks that have been here for for many many generations. And I think there's a lot to be proud of when you're a descendant of both of those things. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's much less talked about. Um, you know, if you're a more recent uh, descendants of more recent immigrants i don't know if i necessarily have a good answer as to why that is i just can certainly say that my field is no exception to that
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah i just
2: well I, it,
1: go ahead the, Um the other thing that strikes me as we are talking is like when you started talking about the oral histories and um you know written histories and now we have this like age of technology where we have like Recordings like actual video, you know, like this podcast that we do. You know, our children can now like go back and they can hear what we were like. And you know, I don't know how long this will last. uh, You know, but there's like some new advancement in our like, um, you know, the the recording of um, this genealogy field, right? Like that you can now tap into. Don't know what I'm saying. You're just like nodding your head. I'm just like okay.
0: No, I th- I mean what I, I think you're making a comment on the impact of technology on the field of genealogy. Yes. Right Thank there you. are maybe um, more tangible, durable records. I think potentially, depending potentially. on depending mm-hmm. on how. Um, how those records are, are recorded and kept.
1: Well, we were and, just talking about that, like, literally this weekend about how photos are now kept in the cloud and, you know, what happens yeah. if you forget to back them up or, you know, like, Sawtooth and I were talking, well, you know, if you had a fire and they were printed copies of photos, you would they would be lost as opposed to, yeah. you know, yeah. to digitized records. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I, it It's easier than ever to store things like records or recordings, but I also think it's easier than ever to lose them, you know, if you don't back them up properly or, you know, if, um, I mean, you know, we've seen this, we've seen this throughout the government, you know, with this idea of like data sets that are then deleted, right? Like Mm -hmm. what constitutes a record? If it's just an Excel database on someone's computer or it's an email does that count as a record and the answer is in 2020 of course it does but w- we don't necessarily think of that because we think of records as like paper right mm-hmm. or as yeah. photographs or as something that's tactile and there's so much more now that is a record that isn't tactile and you know whether whether willfully or accidentally it's so easy to You know, store those improperly or delete them Mm -hmm. or, you know, have some type of accident that leads to their elimination, which makes it an exciting but also very precarious time to be, you know, trying to keep records in those kind of formats.
0: And like one of the beautiful things that you do and other genealogists do, right, is you're able, um, you have the skills and the knowledge to be able to go out and look through these publicly. Um, available records, even private um, maybe records that people are keeping, but they're like tangible physical things that you can put your hands mm-hmm. on and have access to. And with digital files, I think that is going to make that much harder, right, for uh, potentially for future genealogists to um, go through those records and try to make sense of them. I don't know. Well,
2: you know, I kind of i i was organizing this weekend, for instance, and you know, I have only so many rooms in my house, and there's only so much stuff that you can have, right? There's only so many papers or photographs or boxes of things to go through, right? At some point, that's a finite end to that is reachable, even if it takes months and months or years and years, right? Whereas I was trying to clean up my computer the other day, and I was like, oh my gosh, like all these articles that I have downloaded that I never right. read or all these photos that I got from emails or various attachments or, you know, things that, you know, somebody sent me four years ago that i was like, Oh, I'll get to reading it. And now I have these things and are they important? Are they not important? I don't know, because I don't remember the email, but I got it in, but I kind of see it like that. You know, you, you now have sort of endless opportunities for records and what counts as a record and, and what, mm. what's important and, and what can it tell you? Um, and so it is kind of a, it, I don't have an answer, but I think it, it could be difficult moving, you know, moving forward as mm-hmm. to how to access that or, or, you know, uh, in some ways it might be very easy because you can, you know, create a script to send the information from a database that you need that's specifically related to the person or the date or the time frame that you're interested in. Um, but also what happens when there's a bug in the script or when the yeah. computer crashes or when that section of the clouds, you know, goes down or Amazon web services is down for the day or whatever. Right. You know, so it, it really is, I think, um, I think it's a double-edged sword.
0: Yeah. Like the thing in my mind, I think about like, is what happens if there's a solar flare or an EMP and it comes and wipes all that stuff out. Right. Oh like, God. What will what will survive? It once everything is digitized, that's that's, that's a question. True. But who knows? Um, but like Rich is saying, there there are I think some tangible benefits yeah. um, in, in, as it relates to genealogical work um, using some of these modern tools. Um, so kind of a big zooming out a couple levels here, up up a little higher. Um, how. How does genealogical work broaden kind of our understanding of who we are, like as contemporary people? I wonder if you have any thoughts about that.
2: I do. I I actually did little plug, Um I did a TEDx Pittsburgh talk a few years ago, where I, I very broadly, I think, touched upon this subject. Right, this idea of um, you know what genealogy can teach us. And in the the talk, I, you know, discussed how I think genealogy can teach us empathy. And I think that one of the, one of the things that we really take for granted, right? You were talking before about, you know, here we are sitting in this place today, right? And, And we're sitting in this place today because of the results of and likely hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of actions that we ourselves have taken. Right. But we were in the place that we were born in and had our childhood in whatever places we had our childhood in, which led us to have certain experiences or meet certain people um, or become interested in certain hobbies that led to a career because of the actions of other people, right? Because of our parents and their parents and their parents' parents. And you really think about that on a kind of macro level. when you think about the immigrants that came to the United States, right. And, and how your life could be different or, or, you know, would you even be you if your grandmother had never left Sweden, right. Or she'd left 20 years later. Um, you know, and so I think when you, when you learn more about the people that came before you, it can be really instructive, um, in learning more about yourself, right? Because you can really investigate how you got to be you um, through their story, you know, and, and, and some, you know, there's of course these commercials on Ancestry that are like, Oh, my grandma was a pianist and my mom was a flautist, and now I'm a singer. And so it's in my genes or whatever. Right. But, <laughs> you know, and like, that also is true, right. There's DNA today, and you can learn more about specific genes that promote specific traits. And it may be that you got some musical gene from your, your mom's 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 mom or whatever. But I, you know, not everybody's going to be doing that type of, of, of high level DNA work, but I think a lot of people can appreciate, you know, the basic stories of their ancestors, where they came from, why they came to that place. Um, was there chain migration? Um, you know, were they, farmers, but had issues during, um, the Dust Bowl. And that's why why they ended up in Southern California by the fifties or something like that, or by the thirties or forties or something like that. Um, you know, and I think when you, when you really take the stories and appreciate them, you can have the opportunity to, you know, gain a lot of empathy and understanding of other people's experiences. Um, you know, especially recent immigrants or refugees or, or things like that. But even just to learn more about why other people are the way they are, right?
0: Yeah, and I, I watched your TED talk, and I would recommend everybody um, go and watch it. We'll put a link to it in the um, show notes for the podcast, so people can go see that. Uh, but you talk you talk a little bit too about the benefits of um, understanding one's genealogy can have on children like it has some yeah. tangible positive impacts on kids can you talk a mm-hmm. little bit more about that
2: yeah so I am I have to say I am a bit less informed about this than I would like to be but I did do a little bit of research into some of the studies that they were doing and there was some really interesting research that was done down at Emory University and um, you know what had happened they were um, my understanding, again, <laughs> is that it was 2001 and they were learning more about, um, you know, children and their resilience and their feelings of self-worth um, and what their family structure uh did to that, right? Like, if they knew more about their family history, did they feel certain ways or if they felt more connected to their parents' childhoods you know, did, was that instructive to them? And then 9-11 happened. And so there was all of a sudden this national trauma for these kids that may not have necessarily known anybody that died, right? But we obviously all went through this, this horrific time together and they went back to the same families and asked questions about, you know, how they felt about certain things about this tragedy how they were overcoming it, what their family was doing together. Um, And, you know, the very, the very broad conclusion that they came to was that kids who knew more about their family history, who felt more connected to something that was bigger than themselves, handled trauma better. They, Mm. they felt more of a sense of self-worth and self-importance and also, um, that they were a part of this world, right? This this place that was bigger than themselves. And it really started with, you know, these building blocks of who are my parents and their parents and where did they come from and what are their stories and, you know, were their stories passed down of, well, when grandpa lost the farm, Mm -hmm. this is what we did to, you know, this is what the family did to overcome that hardship yeah. um, you know, versus kids that didn't grow up with those types of stories and, and, and what that did, you know, or what that lack of, um, story kind of, you know, did in, in the place of other kids who did grow up with those kinds of stories.
0: Yeah. I mean, or, you know, um, grandma escaped the Armenian genocide, was able to right. go and rebuild, you know, her life after that. And like, I think right. it, I think it I mean, I don't. I know nothing <laughs> so about <laughs> about the study or, or or its findings. But like my, my sense is, it give it might help give children, you know, a, a sense that you know bad stuff happens mm-hmm. in the world. It happens to people. Um, you know, a lot of those people figure out how to recover and move on. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it may take a long time, but you know. We, we figure out how to move on. So, I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like as I listen to you, yeah. it's like the story of Judaism. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's yeah. so, like, rooted in a cultural history yeah. and, like, you know, hey, they tried to kill us. We survive. Let's eat. You know, yeah. the whole, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny, Rich. You mentioned DNA tests, and I had a question about that, right? Because in, sure. in my mind, I feel like there are some people who might think you know, getting a DNA test is, you know, getting a piece of your genealogy done. And that may be true, Um, you know, and I, and you may have answered this, but I I did want to ask you, you know, what, what does um, the kind of genealogy work you do give us that a DNA test can't, right? Um, And and maybe, yeah, (laughs) 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 right.
2: I mean, so DNA is a super important tool. It's not a tool that I use very often. Um, There are quite a few genealogists that specialize specifically within the DNA space. And you can learn, I mean, gosh, the the amazing things that can be done with DNA in 2021, I guess, now is... I mean, it's just breathtaking. You know, they are solving cold cases using DNA. They are, people are figuring out um, who their biological parents are. People are figuring out that the person who they thought was their parent isn't their parent after all. Oh, and then figuring out who who that actual parent was. You know, um, there's amazing things that can be done with DNA, but it's hard, you know, it's it's. To, to really harness the full power of DNA testing for genealogical purposes. It is not as simple as, you know, the leaves that they show you on the ancestry commercials, right? It's, it's really, you know, getting your boots dirty, like research. Um, and not only that, but also understanding of why, you know, what SNPs are, which is a, I don't even know what a SNP is. It's an smp It's like a, this, term they use in dna and like triangulation and understanding like what it means if i'm related to these two people but not those three people and you know how much dna we share in common um you know makes us third cousins versus first cousins and what does that even mean and how does that apply to the research problem you know so there's all that said but you know there's a lot of amazing work that can be done using dna i think for the for the normal kind of average person utilizing DNA, the most exciting thing that it tells you is your, you know, 45% Swedish and, you know, 55% Irish or whatever, you know? Um, and those ethnicity admixture results, which they call them are constantly changing and they look slightly different depending upon which database you test with, you know? Mm. Um, Because they each have different sample sets that they utilize to say, well, this is somebody that's 100% Southern Italian versus somebody that's 100% English or what have you. Um, And so I think, you know, those results can be very informative, but they can also tell somebody that, you know, they're 0.0 or, you know, they're 0.5% Native American and no, you know, no, documents ever going to confirm to you which ancestor that mm. great, 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 great grandmother that's an American was, you know? Um, so I think it can be really informative, but you also, for, for DNA, you really need to know what your question is. Right. And yeah. kind of look into, well, what, how will my DNA help me to answer that question? And am I, do I, am I capable? Do I have, you know, the, the tools at my disposal to find the answer to that question? Or do I need to utilize the help of, you know, folks on a Facebook group or something like that? Um, but I think a lot of the, the true use of, of DNA is finding cousins Mm -hmm. that then have records, right? That then have (laughs) answers. and you know, you, you find the third cousin that, that has got a photo of that, you know, third great grandfather that you share or something like that. Um, or in that case it'd be second great grandfather that you share and that's cool. And that's interesting, but DNA only led you to that person, right? It didn't give you that photo. It didn't show you which records to look at. Um, it just confirms, you know, that you're related to this other person and this other person has also done some practical, um, time doing research and putting that on the internet, or at least you know testing their DNA to find relatives. So you could have this type of connection and share those types of family stories or documents.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so I'm hearing it can be an important tool in the genealogical toolbox, you know, and it can help somebody. It can, it can help somebody avoid going down a rabbit hole, you know, um, you know, thinking they were maybe related to somebody and doing months of research. A
1: lie detector test determined that was a lie.
0: That the DNA test could be the lie detector <laughs> test.
2: Um, it could also send you on a whole new rabbit hole. Though, yeah. And that's the thing is that it you know, it and again, there's also, like we talked about other things earlier, is a bit of a double-edged sword in my one
0: Yeah. So um, one of the services you offer kind of as a professional genealogist um, is kind of what, you describe as a a genealogy consultation. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Like if I walked into your your office or contacted you through the web and said, I would like a, a consultation, what does that look like?
2: Sure. So, I mean, we can use your grandmother, for example, right? So your grandmother's from Sweden. Yep, and um, like I said, I do a lot of research in in immigration, specifically in twentieth century immigration, and a lot of people that do they do immigrant research, you know, will look for um, you know a ship manifest, they'll look for citizenship paperwork, naturalization an document, and they kind of call it a day, right? They'll say, "All right, well, you know, found the immigrant, got their work, and you know, their stuff to, uh, stuff." the U S they got their ships, they got their citizenship. And then, you know, that's kind of the end of the story. Um, and maybe you, you know, look into doing their research back in Sweden, which is something that I cannot help you with, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, you might miss out on a lot of other, um, documents or, you know, in the case of specifically 20th century immigrants, what records you want to look for, for them are very dependent on when exactly they arrive. Um did they become a citizen or did they not? Um, did they ever leave the country again? did they apply for a passport? did they leave the country while they were still an alien? Was that after a certain time frame? Um, and that's all because uh, the immigration laws changed very drastically in the 1920s with the immigration quota systems and so, that means there's a lot more records because they were really keeping track of who was coming in, how many people were coming in, where they were coming from. And so you have things like visa records and alien registration records and all other types of immigrant documents for especially for more recent immigrants that you just don't have for folks that came over you know, from Ireland during the potato family. You know, there's just not the same types of records available. And it's really hard to wade through that. Um, And also, you know, in your case, if you're only researching one person, your grandmother, whereas everybody else, you know, came over many, many, many generations beforehand. You might not necessarily want to spend, you know, the six years that I spent learning all this stuff and (laughs) figuring out, well, what's an A file or what's a C file or and what does it mean and how do I get it and. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's free and sometimes it's not, you know, where do, where do I request those records from and how do I make sure that I get the thing that I'm seeking? Um, and so, you know, I offer uh, consultations for those types of services as well as just for other people that are doing their own genealogical research and, you know, have hit a roadblock and, and want to talk through that. Um, but I'm really passionate about, you know, specifically helping folks find the records related to their immigrant ancestors, um, you know, because there can be some really rich and interesting Files, you know, with mm-hmm. photographs and with signatures and with family stories and, and documents, um, because immigration became so much more uh, restrictive um, and so much more documented, you know, mm-hmm. starting in in the early early nineteen hundreds.
0: Mm. It's fascinating, and in fact, I think, I I think I remember seeing something like a ship manifest or something from my my so my, my grandfather who was married to my grandmother who immigrated uh, was a merchant marine and that's how he oh,
1: met Oh interesting. Yeah,
0: that's how he met her and I believe I remember seeing like some kind of ship manifest at some point or or, or something for, from when she came over like some kind of document yeah. like I know my father has that in a cardboard box like sitting in his mm-hmm. basement somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah
2: there'd probably be some really interesting records for your grandfather who was a merchant Marine as
3: well.
0: Yeah. Um, and that, that's a whole story. Like he, he, he (laughs) died, he died at sea. He was, you know, yeah, he was interred at sea. Like there's all sorts of stuff. I think the documents, all of that, but, um, that, so that, yeah. Um, and you also do more complex, um, genealogical, um, work, right? Um, I was looking on your website and it, describes it as um, genealogical research analysis. Can you talk a little bit about uh, that work that you do and who might, who might be interested in that?
2: Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I do all types of different genealogical research, you know, from questions like I don't know anything about my family history. Help me go to, I have this really specific research problem, you know, I've always known that my grandfather's father was Italian. And it's always been really important to us that we identify as Italian, but we don't know where in Italy he's from, you know, or I heard some family story about, you know, my great uncle that went missing from the family or that, you know, committed a crime or went back to Italy. And we always wanted to know why, you know, those kinds of specific questions. Um, So, you know, I can help, folks utilizing the different databases and, and, and resources that I, that I use and that I know about to find the answers to those, um, questions. Um, and each one is really interesting and, and, and I I kind of enjoy the specific, uh, analyses as much as I do the kind of broader genealogical research trees. you know, um, there's, there's a lot, I think, um, there's a there's a lot to be learned uh, in in both types of, of mm-hmm. scenarios, and I think that um, you know helping people close that gap for you know a decades old mystery of the family is just as satisfying as introducing people to this entire family that you know they that they never knew about,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and so it's it's really interesting and it's really exciting, and, and um, I feel really privileged to be able to you know be able to help. Reconnect people to um, to their ancestors, and also to help them um, find the answers to some of these longstanding family mysteries or family stories.
0: Um, without asking you to reveal specific clients, um, like would would companies come to you? Like, if there's a company that has a question, maybe like that that needs um, like a really deep dive on research or a university or something like, or or even you know, some other type of, um, entity, like, would you, would you work with those types of clients?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the types of questions that people ask, I think, you know, whether it's, we want to learn the history of this company, or we want to learn more about this company's founder and how he came to, you know, do what he did or buy the land that the headquarters is now standing on or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all, Within the purview of the type of work that genealogists do, right? You know, we we can we look into old newspapers, we look into um, you know building records and deed records and and estate records and and all sorts of different things that can help um, you know answer various types of questions from various audiences. You know, the same. I don't know too many genealogists that do like historical research for movies, for instance, but we could definitely use those same types of resources to figure out, you know, everything from what was the typical weather like on a, you know, May day in 1850s England to, you know, what types of things would be served at a presidential banquet in the 1940s. You know, we, we, mm-hmm most genealogists that are worth their salt would be able to help answer those types of questions just because of the different resources that we utilize on a daily basis, usually to help folks find the stories of their ancestors, but certainly not just limited to that, you know, specific, um, you know, that, that, um, that specific, uh,
0: request, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Um, Another area you focus on, and you mentioned this earlier, was around helping uh, people obtain um, dual citizenship. So, now, I guess a question I had was, if you, uh, and you focus, I think you said, on Ireland and Italy. Um, If you have ancestry in either of those countries, do do people have some sort of claim on citizenship?
2: Yeah, so... In the U.S., we, I think, sometimes find it hard to conceptualize because birthright citizenship has been the U.S. of you know, M.O. since, well, theoretically since the, um, um, oh gosh, the 14th Amendment and the 8th right after the Civil War. Um, but really since 1924, which is when, All Native Americans that were born on U.S. soil were considered U.S. citizens. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have this idea that if you're born in the U.S., you're a citizen. And in fact, most countries in the world are not what are considered birthright or solely countries. They're Usanguinous countries. um, And a lot of European countries specifically are bloodright countries. And Mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter where you're born. It depends. It matters the nationality of your parents um, when you're born there. And so even like to this day, for instance, if you're born in Italy, but your parents are, let's say, refugees from Africa, you are not automatically an Italian citizen. Um, you have the right to request citizenship once you're 18, if you've gone to the school system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but a lot of countries don't have that same type of citizenship law that we have. Um, and so because of that, a lot of Americans or hyphenated Americans, Irish Americans or Italian Americans, can lay claim to ancestral citizenship provided that certain stipulations are met. Um, a lot of European countries do have some type of ancestral citizenship, but how many generations it goes down to, and also what stipulations might be met very greatly depending upon which country it is. Um, and so, for instance, like in Ireland, if your grandparent was born in Ireland, you can request um, Irish citizenship, and it's actually a a pretty straightforward process. Um, Italy is a bit more complicated. It depends upon when your ancestor emigrated, where exactly in Italy they emigrated from, and most importantly, when they became a U.S. citizen, if ever. Um, But there are millions of Italian-Americans around the U.S. um, who are unaware that they actually have a right To uh, request that their Italian citizenship be recognized based upon those principles. Um, So I help folks with determining eligibility. And also, then gathering all the proper documentation necessary to mm. make that formal request for
0: citizenship. So, do, you,
1: do you hear this, people? I'll, you need I'll to contact. No, you
0: need to contact <laughs> Rich. You might have a ticket out of here.
1: I know, right? <laughs> I'm, we've, uh, we've said that to ourselves. I think this last year, many, many times. Where else could we go?
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is so you know, fascinating.
1: I, it's great. I mean, I will say that,
2: you know. 10, 20 years ago, it was not a very known entity. And now a lot of people are copping on. And so there's huge wait times at consulates. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they have uh, several years to process applications. And so it's by no means a quick fix. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I always tell people if they're interested, where they think they might be eligible for citizenship, it's always just good to know if you can get it. And then if you are eligible but don't have an immediate need or desire to get out of here, um, start the process now because it very well could be three, four, five years from when you start the process of gathering your documentation to when you have that passport in your hands.
0: Yeah. And and if those people are considering something like that, um, another um, thing you help people with, right. And if, you know, you probably want to visit a country, you want to um, have citizenship in, you help people plan um, what you call heritage tours. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So I, um, gosh, it's something I love to do. And don't get too many people to take me up on it. But I also like it is, you know, <laughs> the year of COVID, right? <laughs> so right. not too many people are going to their ancestral homeland. But, you know, I spent the past decade going to different places where my family's from. Um, in Ireland and in Italy and seeing these little villages and meeting local townspeople and and learning more about where my family lived um, and and walking in the footsteps of of the places where, um, you know, where my family was. And even here, you know, where I live in Pittsburgh, some of my Italian family came to an area outside of Pittsburgh. Um, You know, I still have relatives out here. And so I go to, you know, the town that they lived in, I go to the cemetery and, and, and look into you know my ancestors Grace stones I've I've gone and visited the house in which my grandfather was born before his family moved over to New Jersey um, and so you know I think there's something really valuable in that right people do research and want to know more about where their family's from but a lot of times it's you know taking it to another level is to then go visit those places to see those villages um, or cities you know depending upon where they came from and you know to see the house where you know some relative they knew was born or to you know, to walk from, you know, their section of town to the market or to the church or to the town hall. because um, it really helps those, those people's stories, um, it really helps those people's stories come alive and, you know, how you want to approach that obviously looks very different from person to person. Um, it looks different, you know, whether you're in a very developed part of Northern Italy or a very underdeveloped part of Southern Italy, for instance, um, you know, but I think that there's there's a lot of value in in going back to to the places where your family came from and then seeing them. And so, I love to help people. You know, get into some of those specifics. And sometimes they want to do research in the town hall or in the church. And other times they just want to go see the places and need help finding a local guide. Um, you know, or a translator or something like that. Um, but my parents have been talking about it for years. So I'm hoping in the next couple of years I'll get mm. to I'll get to go with them to nice. be able to show them some of the places that I've been able to see.
0: Yeah, I almost certainly would want to do something like that. But if, you talk about going yeah. to
1: Scotland all the time.
0: Yeah. I mean my 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 Scottish ancestry is more mythological at this point. Like unconfirmed, <laughs> right? And and that's like that's the beauty of what something um, of what somebody like Rich does right. and the service that he provides, like right. I, I could go to, you know, I could go to Rich and say, "Could you help me, right. you know, figure this out?"
1: Right? Am I actually yeah. Scottish?
0: You know, and part of <laughs> and, and part of it is like, yeah, I'm interested in that, but I also. Don't want to dispel the myth, either, that I'm just, just <laughs> descended from Highlanders.
1: He wants to be a Viking as long as possible. Well, vi-
0: Vikings and I Highlanders ignore. are different, I, yeah. I understand. Okay. I'm just... Um, All right. Yeah, anyways. Um, okay, fine. Um, let's see.
2: It is, uh, it is funny, though. I You know, yeah. people... People that are interested in researching their family history, especially if they have specific questions, need to be very... Um, they need to be ready to, to find right. some skeletons in the closet. You know, I people... One thing that I love about the research that I do is that you find that people are people, right? You know, people were, you know, getting married on a Sunday and having a baby on a Wednesday 200 years ago too. You know, it mm-hmm. was like... You know, you know, like things like... Um, affairs or people committing crimes or you know people you know doing things that are sacrilegious or blasphemous right like all these are things that people have done for eons right that is not yeah. something that's new to modern society um you know and so i think people always need to be cognizant of the you know you do some research into your family but you always think one thing and that's Story may not be the truth. Now, eight, nine times out of ten, it usually is, right? <laughs> but every now and again, you know, you spit into a tube and you think, you know, your daddy's your daddy, and then you realize, oh, my my dad actually was the postman. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it's happening to people all the time nowadays because of, of the advent of the usage of DNA. Yeah. Um, and even just, you know, when looking through through old documents and things like that. And so it really doing this research also has the potential to be really life altering and not always in a, in a positive way. Yeah. Um, and I don't think people always recognize that the potential for that.
0: Yeah. So there, so there are emotional risks, Mm -hmm. right. That you're undertaking in in doing this. And, um, to Rich's point, you you have to be prepared for that. How have you, um, again, without asking you to reveal details, I'm not, um, have you encountered a, a pretty hefty situation where you had to be like, all right, sit down. <laughs> um, and and he, you know, here, here's, here's the document um, that, that demonstrates this maybe not so great thing. Um, Don't shoot yeah. the messenger. Yeah. And uh, what's that moment like for you as a, as a professional?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I've had some interesting experiences over the years. You know, i I found people that have committed suicide. You know, I found Mm -hmm. people whose ancestors uh, were raped or committed a rape. Um, You know, things that are really, can be really devastating, especially if, you know, the the people who you're researching were close to you. You know, I think a lot of people also don't want their ancestors to have been slaveholders, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot at, at play here. I think one of them being, I think a thing that's being talked a lot about nowadays, especially with, um, you know the events of 2020 and the Black Lives Matter movement of the idea that like we don't necessarily we're not responsible for the actions of our our forefathers and of our ancestors, um, but we certainly can stand to benefit from them and and perhaps have benefited from the privilege that their decisions uh you know made or the privilege that their decisions um you know have have led to and you know. Likewise, also, you know, the trauma that, you know, some ancestor a hundred years ago faced that then led to alcoholism, that then led to your, you know, grandparent being brought up in this, you know, really troubled childhood or what have you. Um, you know, I think a lot of genealogists don't appreciate that they sometimes have to be psychologists too. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, I had one personal uh, circumstance where I, I was doing research. And this is, again, where I had the thought of finding this type of information was the furthest thing from my mind when I ordered my grandfather's um, naval service record. Um, I was just hoping to get, you know, different information about his time in the Navy, um, where exactly he served. We confirmed that he served. He was indeed at D-Day. Um, and there was also this letter in there his fiance who was not my grandma. Oh no. And I was really shocked at that. And also was like, what do I do with this information? <laughs> you know, cause I was getting this from my mom for like a Christmas gift. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I gave her the, the, documents, Um, and then a couple days later after Christmas, you know, I, I had a, an envelope with the, with the other pages that were this, this woman's letter. um, you know, and I asked my mom, I said, you know, I've talked about this before, you know, but I just want to be certain, like, when I do research into your family, like, you're interested in learning everything about them, right? Like, regardless of it is, regardless of what I find. Um, And, you know, she confirmed that she had, I asked her this, you know, previously through some, you know, surreptitious means about other people. Um, and so I, you know, I gave her the the at Isolope with the documents, and and I expected her to be a lot more surprised than she was. You know, I think my mom is really realistic because I tell her about some of the work that I do, and so she yeah. just knows that sometimes you find the craziest stuff. Um, you know, but her reaction was really uh, I'd say almost muted. You know, she kind of said, well, it was the 40s. A lot of people were getting engaged before they left because they wanted somebody to write home to. They wanted to be able to you know, have a light at the end of the tunnel and something to, um, to look forward to, you know? And so, um, you know, she said, uh, it didn't surprise her and also didn't upset her, but I think some, it equally could have been very shocking and surprising and upsetting to, to somebody to find out that type of information. Mm, Um, so in my mom's case, I, I thankfully didn't have to, (laughs) You know, play, play therapist too much. But there are certainly times when people, um, you know, when I find information and, and uh, that's problematic or troublesome and, and ethically it's not my place to to withhold information mm. from the client. Right. I mean, they're, not, they're paying me to do the research. And so, you know, sometimes I'll put a bit of a disclaimer in the email to them with, you know, the report or put that in a separate thing so they're mm-hmm. like, They know that it's there, but if they want to share it with their kids or something, you know, that they don't, you know, find out that great-grandpa was in prison for rape or whatever, you know. Um, uh, And and for the most part, I've actually had pretty, you know, positive experience and feedback about, you know, handling those things delicately um, and allowing people to sort of look through the information, digest it on their own. They ask questions if they need to. I kind of just accept that, well, that was a thing that happened to my family. And, you know, we, we learn from it and move on. And every now and again, people will say, oh, well, that person was a real jerk anyway. So yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, whatever bad thing they did is like, well, it just fits in with, you know, the stories that we, <laughs> that we knew about them.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think so often when we think about our ancestors, right? even the people like on the Mayflower or whatever, we don't think of them as the people who were involved in the same day-to-day struggles that we all are like around, right. um, Our ancestors, around their
3: people too.
0: commitments, you know, yeah. that they had, you know, hopes and dreams that, yeah. you know, they, they didn't like this particular part. Like I, I think it takes people from being like a branch on a paper family tree to like actual human beings. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and of course, like rich, like you're saying, I mean, you know, that may not in some cases always be the easiest thing to have mm-hmm. to learn or the easiest message to have to internalize about somebody you're related to a few generations ago. But that, I, I find that fascinating. Um, let's see. Um, so you've, uh, we mentioned your Ted talk before, which I, I, want people to go and watch who are listening to this um you do a lot of lecture work um and i have to say you were awesome in your ted talk and i have to confess i've always secretly fantasized about doing a ted talk Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so could you just talk a little bit about um i think lecturing um what kind of lectures you do, you offer. Sure. And, and I'm also interested to the extent you're comfortable talking about your, your TED talk experience and what that was like.
2: Sure. I actually, I get the TED talk question a lot. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's so funny that, uh, you know, how many people have, have, have seen it since and, and asked questions about it. Um, I, I study theater, you know, so my natural inclination is to be, a goofball standing up in front of people, you know, saying lots of crazy stuff. Um, and so I think I'm very well suited to lecturing, um, which I didn't really realize at the beginning of my career. I didn't start lecturing until kind of a little bit into my time as a genealogist. Um, but, you know, some of the work that we do and some of the research that we, the slog of the research that we need to do can be super dry right? it can be super boring. it's important the process is is what gets you the results right it's it's very seldom as simple as typing it into a database and finding a great record right it happens but it's it's not often it's, it's certainly not the way to do kind of good research and um i lecture a lot about the topics that we've been talking about right about immigration about naturalization about um, underutilized federal records for 20th century immigrants about Italian research, about Irish research. Um, there's lots of uh, genealogical conferences around the country throughout the year. Of course, in 2020, most of them became virtual, um, you know, but I have great opportunity to go all over the country to talk about these types of things at various conferences, or sometimes I'll do day long seminars at libraries and, um, Almost every county in the country has their own genealogical society, mm-hmm. and so a lot of counties will also, you know, have their own kind of genealogy seminar once a year, and they'll bring in some nationally known speaker. Um, and so I've been lucky enough to, you know, have the opportunity to do a few of those. Um, and uh, as for as for the TED Talk, I. I had always wanted to do one. I kind of felt that I had some in- something interesting to say. Um, and then I kept an eye on the, the TEDx Pittsburgh page. And it mm-hmm. was really as simple as seeing that there was, uh, they were accepting submissions and doing up a little video. And then they accepted me. And then, you know, we, we workshopped it a little bit uh, a few times. Um, you know, they highly recommend we read the Chris Anderson uh, TED book. Um, which I I found really helpful and really interesting. Um, You know, not everyone is is confident um, or comfortable with public speaking. And I found that, you know, for me, that wasn't as much of a problem just because of my my background as an actor. But I found that, you know, studying other people's TED Talks, people's TED Talks that you admire, can be really helpful because I think there's a certain cadence to good TED Talks. and that's not really something that can be taught. It's kind of just something that you can really witness and try to internalize. Um, you know, I had a kind of fun, I had a funny experience with, with TEDx because I was traveling. And, you know, I checked in every now and again on the or website to see when they were accepting submissions. And I usually checked once every few days. And um, of course there was a period of time where I didn't check for like three weeks because I was traveling. I was teaching in a, a workshop. I was researching in the library. And so I was like away out of town for several weeks. And then I looked, you know, one Monday and I saw they'd opened up submissions in the meanwhile and it was due the next day. Oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> <So no. laughs> that actually was what one of happening is that I, I, you know, stopped everything I was doing, created a little script, made a video and you know the next day when I submitted it, they then extended the deadline. Of
1: course. <laughs> of course they did. Um,
0: did you end up using you, did you end up using the one you recorded at the last minute?
2: Well, so that was kind of a, a quick two to three minute intro to your idea, but it wasn't the, the whole thing, thing yeah. kind okay. of, you know, blown out. Um, so I utilized a lot of the same ideas, but you know, the script obviously changed over time. Um, I'm just really like, again, like, I think that, you know, if you don't have necessarily a, a huge theater background or something like that type of experience may not lead <laughs> lead to yeah. the positive outcome it did, it did for me. Um, and I'm really fortunate for that. But, you know, I'd say if people are interested in doing, in doing TEDx docs, you know, see where there are local ones. And a lot of times, especially if you live, you know, in an even remotely urban area, there's, you know, the city often does one and there's sometimes one in the suburbs and sometimes one in the local university and you don't always have to be a university student to do it. Um, you know, there might be lots of good and interesting opportunities for, for folks to um, you know, to try one out.
1: They do one up here.
0: So, Rich, did you say you <laughs> studied theater in in college?
2: I did, yeah. I have a bachelors of arts in what is it, in theater art? I can't, with a concentration in acting,
0: yeah. I cannot help make the connection between actors study people, mm-hmm. right? And huh. you're a genealogist and you study people. Do you see Action a connection? I've never thought of that. Do you see a connection there?
2: Yeah, I mean, good actors do a lot of research, right? I mean, you, you listen to you know big hollywood actors talk about the routines that they do and the research that they do for a big role especially if you know the role is is based on someone that, that yeah. was a real person um i never thought about it that way to be honest oh, That's really that's a really interesting connection yeah
1: that's making i can't
0: help but think that there has to be right in some way
1: yeah it's it,
2: no it totally it totally follows yeah just haven't I, I always thought why I always loved theater was because and I still love theater you know, I haven't acted in years at this point but you know I always thought that uh, an actor's job was to find the truth in a character right I think that there's this common misconception that that actors uh, lie right that they that they spend their lives faking because they're just always pretending to be other people um, And I think you know, a true artist would would <laughs> say like, well, actually, really, it's our job to find truth yeah. in imaginary circumstances, right? Yeah. In in a fictionalized circumstance, um, and in a way, you know, that's what that's mm-hmm. what I do in my research, right? Yeah. I, I I find the truths of family stories which have often been you know mangled or or confused over the yeah. years. um, Yeah. What a, what a, what a neat thread.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's so interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) so, um, I want you to talk a little bit about your meet my immigrants hashtag slash project. (laughs) Is that, is that an active, um, project you have going on?
2: You know, it is not. Um, gosh, maybe, maybe I'll get back to it. There's actually still like two or three people that I, that I, haven't yet written about um you know i i try my best to um you know to um oh gosh here i am like not being nothing i will say i try my best to not talk too much about politics in my mm-hmm. professional life, you know, certainly at yeah. conferences and things like that, we're obviously very apolitical. Um, and it's hard sometimes because I talk about immigrants, right. I talk about recent immigrants and, and understanding restrictions that immigrants into the United States, you know, what that's looked like over the past hundred years is really informative to the discussions that we have today about immigrants and who can come in and who can't come in and what that looks like. Um, and so basically, you know, the short story is, um, in the same trip that I was just talking about when I had to put together this, this TEDx submission video in a hot second, um, it was also right when, um, when Trump was, was inaugurated and he enacted the Muslim travel ban. Yeah. And, you know, I felt very personally affronted by that, um, because so many of my ancestors were recent immigrants and, and what I talk about and what I teach and what I'm interested in is the stories of recent immigrants um you know and especially for for someone whose mother you know was a 20th century immigrant um, and his grandparents on his other side were 20th century immigrants i felt like there was a real disconnection between that family history and and the rhetoric regarding this um And so, you know, I thought in my little way I could, you know, start a conversation about immigrant ancestors that, you know, make me the person that I am today. Um, And so every day for about a month um, after the travel ban was enacted, um, I introduced folks through my social media channels to um, various immigrant ancestors of mine. Um, and if I had photos of them, I want your photos or a doc, you know, interesting document, interesting story, um, and use the hashtag meet my immigrants um, and encourage other people to um, to do that. Um, you know, I have to confess that it wasn't, it didn't quite catch on as a wildfire like I'd hoped it would. Um, but it did, you know, cause some folks in my community and in the genealogical field. Um, to take part and to to learn more about their immigrants and to you know encourage others to do the same, um, and so it was just it was a project I was really proud of. Um, you know, I don't know how I found an hour and a half every day in, the, <laughs> in that month yeah. to like figure that out. You know, and that's kind of unfortunately one of the reasons why it fizzled, just because you know you yeah. you run out of time to do things that you're not
3: getting paid to do
2: you Yeah,
0: know? I mean. I- you know, I think it's a really beautiful thing. And I think it's an important thing for us all to, to think about, right? And I, I said this a little bit earlier in our conversation. Like, we're all immigrants, right? I mean, even even our Native American um, population on this continent came over the land bridge at one point, right? That right, was ten, point, that, yeah, that was tens yeah. of thousands of years ago. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you know, it, it, and I think it's an important exercise for people to go through, especially when the politicians of the day Mm -hmm. are focusing on whoever the contemporary immigrant target population Mm -hmm. happens to be. It was the Irish in the 1800s and early 1900s, Japanese Americans and and Japanese immigrants um, in World War II. I mean, my grandmother told me this horrifying story about how, they used to go down to the American um, Japanese internment camps and throw rocks at the Japanese prisoners. Oh my gosh. I was like, what? (laughs) Um, no, no. Many
2: of whom were American born, you know? I mean, you were interned, you were interned, whether you were Japanese born or Japanese American.
0: Absolutely. But, you know, I was doing a high school research project, um, and interviewing her and she just like kind of very cavalierly revealed this to me. And it like, yeah. it but it go you know i don't love my grandmother any less for it but it was an important lesson for me in um trying to understand people and people and places and times right like mm. um where am i going with this stopping gym i got are lost you going um with it? so anyways yeah so now I know um so <laughs> I, I i think you know i think it i think it is a really uh, wonderful project, and I think we all could do better, uh-huh. you know, in trying to connect to our immigrant roots, uh-huh. you know, no matter how hard that connection might be for any one of us, right? You know, it's a it's an important exercise to go through, I think, anyways. Um,
2: I yeah. I'm, I recall this beautiful um, artwork that was outside of. Oh gosh, uh, the Maine College of Art, maybe in Portland when I was there a few years ago, and it said every every refugee boat is a Mayflower, you know. And I think that that sentiment really speaks to me. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformed people these days that spout this idea of, well, my you know my immigrant ancestors did it the right way or they did it legally. Right. Um, without really Thinking. recognizing that up till 100 years ago, all you needed was the money to get on a boat. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now granted, starting in the 1870s, there were exclusions relating to uh, Chinese um, and then later Japanese and all Asian individuals. But really, up till 1917, most anybody from most anywhere in the world, if you could afford to get on a boat and didn't have tuberculosis or trachoma, you could come on over and get in. Mm-hmm. And so you know, utilizing that idea of, you know, legal immigration does, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really follow when you think of what legal immigration looked like then yeah. versus what legal immigration looked like throughout the 20th century versus what legal immigration like looks like today in 2021. And so, you know, putting those same uh, uh, like guidelines, a- yeah. up, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't really follow, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's like very, apples and um, oranges,
1: right? It's like w- right, it's just a whole
2: different, yeah. It's a whole different situation, and that's why I encourage people to learn more of the stories, right? Because then, mm-hmm. if you learn why your ancestors came over on the Mayflower, well, that's very similar to why people are, you mm-hmm. know, leaving. War-torn countries, or why mm-hmm. you know certain ethnic, you know, religious minorities are 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 refugees in droves to other places. Um, you know, the time has changed; the, the 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 year is different, but the reason for migration,
3: right, you know, yeah.
2: there's there's absolutely a common thread there going back centuries. You know, yeah.
0: yeah. Um. So thinking about kind of how you do this genealogy work, in my mind, I envision this to actually be quite physical work. Um, you're, you're walking through buildings, going into basements, climbing book stacks, sitting underneath <laughs> microfiche machines, um, lifting boxes, you know, I I don't know. In my mind, I, I, I actually see it as physical work. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to physically do this work and if, if it takes a toll?
2: You know, I have to admit that it's a lot less Indiana Jones than that, I think, which is <laughs> unfortunate because that really sounds great. I,
0: I romanticize everything and everyone. So,
2: <laughs> So you know, I have a standing desk. Um, I stand at my com- computer most of the day. You know, I do a lot of research online or if I'm going to go do research in an archive, it involves a lot of prep work on my computer in advance, you know. Um, researching at an archives looks different from archives to archives. You know, sometimes you are lifting the boxes and grabbing the records and looking through the books yourself uh or yourself. Other times, you know, at uh the National Archives in, in DC, for instance, or College Park, Maryland, you fill out pull slips and they then provide you with the records and you're seated at a desk and there are very specific rules as to what you can and can't do and how you can and can't, you know, reproduce or photograph things. Um so, you know, I'd say that physically it's just every day looks very different. Obviously, 2020 has looked very much the same because it's yeah. standing at home at my computer. But in a normal time, you know, one day I'm at my computer, at my desk. Another day I'm tracing through a cemetery. Another day I'm going to some archives. Another day I'm flying on a plane to go to some conference to talk about, you know, this, that, the other thing. Um, you know, and so... It's, I think, a little less physical than you're imagining, but also I find it very exciting because the days all look very different depending upon the research that I'm doing, the projects that I'm working on, um, you know, or the specific archives in which I need to go investigate. Um, and that's really nice because it, it, I already love the work that I do, but it also means that I am not, you know, sitting in the same office chair every day from nine to five doing the exact same thing, yeah. um, and that's very well suited to, you know, to my personality and how I best function.
0: Seven years into this now, what has surprised you? Is being what has surprised you about being a professional genealogist?
2: <laughs> Gosh, she promised me there wouldn't be any gotcha questions. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't have that one written down either. Sorry.
2: Uh, wow, that's a, no, that's a really interesting question. I you know I'm constantly amazed um, I may cheat my own horn for a second here. I I think I'm I would say that I'm widely respected in my field as as one of the foremost if not the foremost expert on the topics that I researched specifically in regards to 20th century immigration. Um, there are a few other people that I collaborate with frequently um, who aren't professional genealogists that I would say other people are also aware of um, who would you know be considered uh, at a, a higher caliber uh, of knowledge than I have. Um, but a lot of people across the field know me and respect me um, and ask me loads of questions about, this weird, hard immigrant problem. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what happens if, you know, this person was born overseas, but their mom was American, but their dad wasn't? Like, what does that mean? And what's their citizen status and what type of records might exist, right? For example. Um, And I love that and I relish that because I've spent a lot of time learning those things. Um, But I'm also constantly amazed at what I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm constantly amazed at, at, what I thought I knew that I don't know and what I, um, you know, how much learning there still is to do. You know, I'm, I, I'm going to be 31 in a couple weeks. And, um, you know, I, (laughs)
3: um,
2: and I'm so grateful that I came to this career so early because I feel like I've got decades left of learning to do. You know, there's so many books that I want to read and there's so much, you know, I, there's so, there's so much immigration history that I want to understand. There's so much policy that I, that I want to learn. There's so much, uh, there's so many record sets that I want to look at. There's so many if then scenarios that I have yet to think of, or that have yet to be brought to my attention, but that I want to be able to figure out. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm constantly surprised and I think humbled by, um, you know, by the amount of learning that, that I have left to do and that I still want to to do, you know, I think, um, being, being an expert is fun and all, but I I think it's also just as fun to continue, um, to learn and to continue to, to innovate and to continue to, uh, you know, explore, um, different options and, and scenarios, um, and records and, and then laws. And so, um, I'm, you know, I'm grateful, like I said, to, to have come to this at the age that I did, um, you know, because I I feel like I still have so much left to learn and Mm -hmm. then to be able to impart to
1: other people through
2: the teaching that I do.
0: Yeah. Mm. That is awesome.
1: That's a great answer.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, so a non-genealogy related question. Um, (laughs) What My do you like?
3: Color's blue. <laughs>
0: Mine is purple. By the way, uh-huh. I love purple. Although uh-huh. I just got a blue iPhone. I just got a blue iPhone. Because
1: they didn't make it. in purple. They did
0: not have a purple iPhone. Oh. Um,
2: I also just got a blue
1: iPhone. Are we iPhone fans?
0: I think so. <laughs> See, Jen, Rich, yes. and I have something in common <laughs> that's, too.
1: That's great.
0: No, what I wanted to ask you, um, when you're not doing um, your work, work, um, what do you like to do for fun?
2: I do yes. genealogy for fun. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually very true. I think, I mean, yeah. uh, so many genealogists come to the field, not because it's like a common vocation, yeah. but because we like to do it. I've been realized like, oh, people will pay us to do this. That's cool. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: but I love to travel. Um, I I have been very fortunate to be able to uh, to live and to work abroad for a while in my early 20s. I, I backpacked. Um, I love to travel to see new places, to experience new cultures, and eat new and interesting foods. Um, I love to read. I also uh, I do country western line dancing and two stepping, which is
0: that I fun. did not yeah. expect those words to come out of your face. <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's, I love it. This year's been super tough because yeah. I had a great community of people mm. here in Pittsburgh yeah. that I adored um, who we saw on a weekly basis. And we had the monthly hoedowns and it was great. Um, and obviously, you know, that's, social dancing is like
3: yeah.
2: uh, one thing that will take a long time <laughs> to resume, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. All right, last last question. Yeah. Um, and we asked this of all of our guests. Um, <laughs> Stomping Jen. There we yeah. go. Yep. Yeah. Um, What what have you seen? And you can you can take this any way you like. What what have you seen that you cannot explain?
1: (laughs) Oh, there it goes. Man,
0: (laughs) Rich is thinking.
1: Such a ridiculous question. What a question. I know, right? Man,
2: I, I wish I'd had an hour and a half to think about this answer. Sorry. I what have I seen that I can't explain? Well, we're talking about genealogy, right? And yep. so I'm just gonna I'm gonna circle it back to work. That's okay. Something I will never understand is how many people um Treat like ancestry family trees as the bible and mm-hmm. so so like for instance you you input information into a tree right and then somebody else sees it and they're like oh that's all true and i'll add it to my tree and so i have seen so many like so many trees of people that were like born in 1760 but they died in 1914 and they had 27 <laughs> children about 26 and it's just like you know, bad information, begetting bad information to people that are not checking their work. Um, But I, I, it's just something that is so, um, that is so prevalent in my field. I mean, we talk about it at every conference, right? We always make jokes about it. Um, But it's kind of crazy, like how, how many people kind of just have this interest in genealogy but has no interest whatsoever in like really checking that work and yeah. verifying the information, and even just doing like a quick, like dummy check to make sure right. that oh, this woman was not having a child when she was four years old. Like that's <laughs> just physically not possible. Yeah. <laughs> oh my
0: god. And that is why we need genealogy that's professionals. Right. We don't need alternative facts. Yeah. Well, there. thank thank you. Sorry for the surprise question, but thank you <laughs> for answering it. Um, All good. All right. Um, before we go, is there anything you want to tell us? Anything you want to plug? Any final points you want to make about being a genealogist? I mean, the floor is yours.
2: Um, <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll plug, you know, I'm sure my website and things like that will be in the show notes and what have you. Yep. Um, one of the most valuable things that I've been able to do in my professional career, uh, especially over the last, year, year and a half, um, as I worked on this records access advocacy campaign. Um, and it's kind of a, a a long story, but the short of it is the government, uh, agency that handles immigration also has records and they wanted to raise the fees on their records because they were raising fees on all Mm -hmm. things within their purview, including naturalization and visas and things like that. Um, and so I gathered together a bunch of other records access advocates to, uh, to fight against that. We got a lot of really good press and talked to some interesting people. Um, Ultimately the fees were raised less than they anticipated, less than we anticipated, but then there was a court injunction. So now the fees are currently on hold. Um, But through that process, I learned a lot about records access advocacy and how often there are things like public comment periods that nobody knows about that. Nobody knows where to look for Um, and a lot of people, you know, I think there's this weird thing in, in the world we live in now where everything is digital or like people love to be outraged. Right. Mm -hmm. But they often have very misdirected outrage. And so in the genealogy world, I think, you know, we often will see a law after it's passed that restricts access to vital records. For instance, there's a big one in Massachusetts that I want to mention in a second, um, but uh, we weren't there for the process, right? Like we missed the boat on the ability to promise, mm-hmm. right? To get our members of Congress involved, to get our local legislators involved, to call the town select person, mm-hmm. right? And say, hey, I've got this problem. Um, and so or I've heard about this new law. Like I, I really oppose it. You know, how can we, you know, get the word out or what have you? Um, and so that was really eye opening for me. Um, and that's something that I, I want to work on much more in 2021 than I did in 2020. Um, you know, to further that idea in my field of, you know, the importance of the awareness of these types of, uh, comment periods or, you know, public ability to shape laws, right? I think a lot of people are very disenchanted with politics these days, and they feel like they can't make a difference. Um, but at least in terms of you know access to historical records and things like that, so many of the records that we deal with are created and disseminated by public agencies, which means there has to be public input, which yeah. means there has to be public accountability. And so um, there's all of these opportunities
3: mm-hmm. to
2: do that—that um, I think my field, especially, but I think this goes for any type of anything, yeah. right? We really miss the boat on, um, you know, the the ability, and so it's so important to be really in tune with like what laws are your is your town passing, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's for vital records or like who's mm-hmm. salt in the streets. You know what I mean? Like yeah. any of those yeah. types of things often have the opportunity to have public comment, Um, and it's so not useful to be enraged once the thing is settled, Mm -hmm. but certainly, if you have the opportunity to be involved um, at an earlier process and make your voice heard, even if the outcome isn't the outcome you want, you can still have been involved in that process. Um, And this really played out in this law that I was mentioning in Massachusetts, Um, the Massachusetts Genealogical Council does a great job of making people aware of these types of, of, you know, proposed laws or changes to legislation. Um, Humble brag. They did, they awarded me with their records access award this year.
0: Oh my God. Um, Hold on.
2: (laughs) 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 But, um, so in, in Massachusetts for centuries, and Massachusetts has been an open record state, and so birth, marriage, and death records, which in some states are very restricted for many decades after they're created, in Massachusetts, if you know the information about the event, you can go and get the record. And mm-hmm. certainly, people may have opinions about that, but that's what the law has been in Massachusetts since colonial days. Really, um, that you know, the records of birth, marriages, and deaths were you know town events that were public knowledge that were public events and the records themselves that create were created were public. And uh the governor last year, I believe, either early last year or late 2019, introduced legislation to close the um to sort of close the records to a more um you know like time frame that would be uh more in line with a lot of other um uh a lot of other states.
0: Mm-hmm. Charlie and Charlie Baker.
1: Charlie. Indeed.
0: <laughs> that was for you, Baker. Okay, go ahead.
2: Um I don't know anything about Charlie Baker other than this law. But uh, <laughs> That was
0: that was all Sawtooth. Um, directing my wrath at Charlie Baker.
2: Charlie. Yep. Um but anyway, so because you know they organized this campaign and they had people write in and they had people write to their, you know, local representatives, the law wasn't passed. Or that specific addition to the law didn't make it into the final version. Um, And so, you know, I think it's just one of those things that goes to show you that if enough people have a say about a thing, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that thing doesn't happen. Or maybe, you know, Mm -hmm. that change isn't enacted because there's enough people um, that put the time and energy into writing a letter.
0: That's awesome. And thank you for your work on that. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, we, we benefited from that right here, stomping Jen.
1: Yeah, I want to um, echo. What I actually, Rich I didn't just work <laughs> on the,
2: I didn't work on the Massachusetts one, but I, I worked on the national one.
1: But yeah, so, oh,
2: thank anyway. you. Anyway, yep. uh, just wanted to clarify that. Yep, thanks. sorry, Jen.
1: No, you're fine. I just want to echo, like, yes, don't wait till things happen and they. So many times, people get uh, enraged about something that was passed where they had. A full process along the way. If they had just paid attention to, yeah, uh, you know, at any point in the process, they could have interjected or made their point clear. And yeah, so many times people wait until it affects them, and then they get their panties up in a bunch. And, and it's I think, like, but yeah. I also think, oh, we didn't get that information. Well, there was this public meeting and this public hearing and these meetings along the way.
0: Yeah, and and I think that yeah. goes to we all could do a little better in trying to understand yeah. how our civic how our structures local, operate. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Agreed. It's really important. Yeah. Agreed. really important. You
1: know, don't, you know, don't wait for the issues to affect you directly. Yeah. Pay attention, volunteer, get involved. Yeah. Read the paper. So yeah. many people think that the local paper is useless.
0: Yeah. And if you have a oh my qu- gosh, the
2: and, local if you have a paper, is the best sort of thing is. Yeah.
0: yeah. Local papers, and if you have a que- if you have a question, <laughs> yeah. right. call about- your select board member. No, no, if you have a question about <laughs> maybe how you connect work. to the history of your town, yeah, or if you have questions about your own personal history, yeah, we're gonna call somebody like Rich, and we're gonna call Rich first, yeah, Venezia, Rich Venezia,
1: Rich Roots at Genealogy. Rich
0: Roots Genealogy. That's who we're going to call first.
1: Not the Ghostbusters.
0: Right. We're going to call Rich. So if you have questions about genealogy, <laughs> that's who we're calling. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. Rich Venezia, nationally He's recognized, say that all night nationally recognized <laughs> genealogist. Thank you for joining us. Um, Thank you. I learned a ton from our conversation. I had a lot of fun talking to you. Me um, too. Thank, Thank you. Stomping Jen. Yeah. Anything you'd like to say.
1: Thank you. It's so nice to see you. And it is so, so great long. to you. I know. It's crazy.
0: Our listeners. <laughs> I have a message for you.
1: Oh, okay. Listeners.
0: Thank you for listening. <laughs> I love you. Please, um, if you are enjoying what you're hearing from us here at the Soft Surf Podcast, yes. please subscribe.
1: Download, download. Share with a friend.
0: Leave a review. Share on, it. On on Apple Podcasts for us. That helps us. Spread the word. Right? Spread the word, please. Yeah. We have a lot of great stuff coming yeah. up. We do. Okay. We're going to continue our, our hot streak.
1: Yeah. Um. So be safe.
0: Be safe out there.
1: Wear a mask.
0: Wear a mask.
1: Get vaccinated.
0: Uh yep, that if whenever you
1: it's available. Don't
0: cut anyone in line though, Stomping Jen. No. That's important. Wait your turn to get vaccinated. But be safe. Um and so we'll see you. Right? Yeah. Um, Rich, do you want to say goodbye?
2: <laughs> Thanks so much. I had a great time. It's great Thanks. to be here. Great. Thank you.
0: Thanks. All right. All, All right, right everybody. Bye now. Take care. Bye now.
1: And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed